Hi, this is Regaline Sabat, also known as Gigi, and you're listening to Walk With Me Podcast. My guest today is Christine McDonald, and she's a human trafficking survivor and advocate. Welcome to the show, Christine. Hey, Gigi. Thanks for having me. Such an honor to have you here today. And now, can you tell us a little bit more about you and where are you from? Oh, well, I am from Oklahoma originally. However, I have been in Missouri for like the last 25 years. So I guess I called Missouri home. I love it. Now, Christine, tell us a little bit more about your experience being being trafficked. Sure. Um, so I, uh, I had some vulnerabilities um, that led me to be a, a vulnerable to be trafficked, to be exploited. Um, I had a fatherless home, which tends to be one of those regular things that you know, that, that fatherless family, you know, and I, my mother struggled with mental illness. Um, I was in and out of the foster care system. And so there was sexual abuse, there was physical abuse, emotional neglect. I'd been to like 21 different schools by the time I was in seventh grade. (laughs) So not a lot of time for like education or friends or that normal childhood, if you will. Um, and so I actually started running away, um, I wasn't really running to anything, but I was definitely running from, well, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, those kind of things. Um, And at 15, I found myself in an abandoned house in the middle of the winter. And a a gentleman um, befriended me and um, gave me a safe place to live. And um, he uh, he ended up selling me for twenty five hundred dollars to a guy that owned a bunch of adult entertainment clubs in Oklahoma and Kansas. And um, for $2,500, I was sold at 15 into what we would consider today the legalized sex industry where I was bought and sold in the back rooms of the VIP of these clubs um, for for two years. And then at 17, um, kind of, you know, you don't bring in the same amount of money. And, and, and there was a lot that led into that. I was raped when he paid for me, he raped me. He had to break in the goods is what we call it. Grooming. Um, and the grooming happened. And then I was broken in, which was the violence and the rape. Um, uh, there was a lock on my door. I was escorted to and from the bathroom. I mean, there was, there was nowhere for me to go. There wasn't even an opportunity, um, for me to call anybody, but if there would have been, I mean, I really, I didn't have anybody to call, right? And so um, at 17, um, I was escorted off the property. I didn't even know what city I was in, much less what state I was in, girl. And um, at gunpoint, they walked me across the parking lot and said, don't ever let us see you again or we'll kill you. And I really had no reason to disbelieve this because girls disappeared all the time. I ended up in um, Kansas and Missouri where I spent the next 17 years being bought and sold. Um, and some of that was on back pages, which of course doesn't exist anymore. I was part of that group that helped shut that down. Um, some of it was um, in hotels. Um, some of it was, um, you know, street corner prostitution. And a lot of things came with that from from trauma, of course, um, that even happened prior to that. And of course, substances were introduced to me. Um, that kind of became that coping mechanism to help me deal with. Um, I learned quickly that the drugs would help me deal with what was fixing to happen. It also helped negate, if you will, what had happened. And so I, in that minutia, I also became a full-fledged addict. So not only was I, you know, being bought and sold, I was also, you know, just that whole 
minutiae, if you will, of a substance use disorder in the midst of that. And then, um, you know, after, you know, 21 years of this, basically, I had asked for help. I was turned away. Um, I tried to leave several times. You know, I got arrested. I thought, oh, I'll be free. But, you know, arrests are public records. So still find out when you're getting released. And he would always meet me. Um, and my exit was standing on a corner <laughs> um, at a church praying. If, you know, I, I don't know how you get out of here. But I thought, I thought the only out for people like me was death. You know, the girls that were murdered and discarded in the Missouri River. And I had been through a lot of things. You know, I've been branded with a cattle iron. That's just crazy. I'd been held at gunpoint to dig my own shallow grave. I'd been stabbed and left for dead at the Missouri River. I'd been through just so much. And um, I just like, hey, let death find me, you know. And um, God picked me up in broad daylight <laughs> on the corner of a church. <laughs> And pay for my services. And he brutally, brutally assaulted me and violated me and beat me for hours. And um, he, I was, I was fading in and out of consciousness. And he had a gun. And uh, he had told me to get on my knees, and and I couldn't. I didn't have enough strength. I was in it. Like I said, I was just like trying to just maintain my consciousness and my awareness to the best of my ability. And he grabbed my, my ponytail and he held me up and he held that gun to my head. And he's like, give me a reason to let you live. And I thought after all these years, you know, this was my prayers being answered and that I was finally going to be out of my pain and misery. And um, I didn't understand people like that thrive on fear. And so he got really mad at me <laughs> because I wasn't scared and because I didn't beg him for my life. And in that moment, as I realized what was fixing to happen is he was fixing to rape me all over again. And um, I, I had never fought back in all these years. I'd seen girls get murdered. Um, I'd seen the consequences. And so I learned, oh fly <laughs> i had learned early on and you know i had learned early on um that if you didn't fight back it, it didn't last as long and it usually didn't hurt as bad right and um you could survive and um i was so mad in that moment that he did not pull that trigger I was mad for every one of my friends that was murdered. I was mad because God did not grant me the mercy that I had asked for by death. And I fought back and I fought back. I was just over overtaken in this rage and I got a chance to get the gun. And I looked at him and I pointed that gun and I, I remember seeing fear in his eyes. I mean, just like, just total from like looking at me in this disgust and like having all this power and control over me to now he's scared. And I, I saw that and I thought for a minute, like, wow, I hate this man. I hate every man that's violated me, but yet I still see, I, I can still see the fear. Right. And it's like, how had nobody, how had nobody ever 
like saw mine, right? And so um, I told him to get on his knees. I said, get on your knees. And he sobbed and he begged me. He told me about his wife. <laughs> oh my gosh. He told me about his kids. He told me about his job. He told me about his career. He told me about all these valuable things, I guess, that he saw that were valuable to him to justify me not taking his life. And uh, he got on his knees and he sat there and I held that gun. And I remember yelling at him, just tell me why I should let you live, right? And he just went on and he sobs. When I pulled that trigger, I meant to murder that man that day. And um, I believe God interceded in my life as well as my own you know, like that innate instinct of choosing life, right? Because I didn't just choose his life in that moment because killing him probably would have been justified in a court of law. Um, but I chose my life in that moment. I wasn't going to be a monster. I wasn't going to be what everyone had been to me. And so when I shot the gun into the ground, I, I emptied the barrel, put the bullets on the ground. I threw it. I gathered my clothes. I wiped the blood from my face. And I said, I don't care if anybody never helps me. I will never be out here because I don't want to be a monster. And I knew I could have easily pulled that trigger and killed that man. And I didn't want to be that evil. Wow. Very inspiring. As a sexual assault survivor myself, my heart truly goes out to you, Christine. Now, you have had both of your eyes medically <laughs> removed. I have motto is use your faith to be your eyes. Talk to us a little bit more about your motto. You know, so I never went back to the life after that. I, I went to agencies. I was basically illiterate when I exited. I, I knew my ABCs. I knew my one, two, threes. I knew how to write my name, but I was illiterate by like everybody else's standards. Like I couldn't read a book. Right. And, and a lot of that was moved a lot. How do you, how do you be safe in school and learn if that's the only place you're safe and that's the only place you get food, right? You, you don't have the opportunity to think about learning. And so um, a couple of years out, I met a guy <laughs> and thought I was in love. <laughs> um, wasn't healthy enough to be in a healthy relationship, but um, we, um, I got pregnant and um there were some complications and here i was just like trying to figure out life on life's terms i'm drug free i'm out of the life i'm going to counseling right i'm doing all these right things i got a first job i never had in my entire life <laughs> um and um you know uh, in that pregnancy there were some complications and um i um i actually um i had this raging inflammation my nervous system literally attacked every organ in my body and when it did, um, I went blind. Um, I, I woke up blind in my right eye. And three days later, I was completely blind in my left eye. And um, I was in my third trimester. And um, the doctor's like, hey, you have this inflammation in your brain. You have this inflammation. Your body is attacking itself. And he's like, look, if we administer this medication right now, your baby's not healthy enough to deliver yet. But if we administer this medication right now, we're going to kill your unborn child but we can probably save your eyesight and the rest of your body and my other organs that were being attacked. Right. And I was like, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> 
Um, and so, um, my son's father wanted me to, um, he's like, we can have another baby. And I'm like, I can't, I can't make that choice. And, um, he pleaded with me. He doesn't regret my choice today, but at that time, and I chose, I chose my child. And when my child was born, they administered the medication. It was too late. My eyes had already ruptured and pulled with blood. But by the time this had all happened, I'd also lost my hearing and we were able to save my hearing. Um, but both of my eyes had to be medically removed. And I think I'll never forget the doctors said, I am so sorry. You know, we're going to have to remove both of your eyes. They're pulled with blood and I'm just so sorry. And, and, and I'm like, Hey doc, I got a problem with this. He's like, what? I was like, I'm terrified of the dark. I mean, how do I do this when you're scared of the dark? I mean, what does that even look like? I come from such a horrific life you know, being locked in closets and being locked in cages and being locked in trunks of cars and things like that. How do you now know that you're going to face the darkness forever? And you're on this side of the, the, you know what I'm saying? You're out of that. I was like, oh my gosh. And so um, my eyes were removed. And I think it was one of the most beautiful things that could have happened to me. And I know that sounds absolutely nuts. Now, there are two things that happened. One, I think this was the catalyst Gigi, I don't know if you'll get this, but I was not a very nice soul when I got out of the streets. <laughs> so much had happened to me. I was pretty rough around the edges. I really had a lot of attitude. <laughs> I was super dramatic. I was really angry. I had a lot of anger. Um, and um, I didn't know how to allow people in. And I didn't know how to make relationships. I didn't know how to let people in because I didn't trust people. And so when my eyes were removed, number one, I had to learn how to trust even strangers because, well, I was completely blind and I had never been blind. I go somewhere like I'm a public speaker and I show up and I'm like, somebody's going to have to walk me to the restroom so I can show up and speak. I mean, I have a master's degree. I've authored two books, but I can't find the potty on my own. <laughs> so it broke down that wall to allow me to be vulnerable, to be able to, to trust people. But that also allowed me to start understanding the body of Christ and how we're all part of the whole. And that probably would have never happened. And secondly, that whole fear thing and being scared of the dark, I still deal with that today. I wake up, I open my eyes and it's like, okay, God, <laughs> you're going to give me your strength to get through this because now I'm awake, my eyes are open and it's the blackest black you could ever imagine. And I have no idea beyond anything that, because if I can't touch it, then it isn't there. And that makes a really scary world around me. And so every day I, uh, I get the privilege of my faith in God intending to me as his child to be my eyes. You are truly a powerhouse, Christine. Now, Christine, what is your best advice to the audience for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness? <laughs> Surrender. <laughs> we women, we got to manage everything. But when we let go of everything and turn it over to God and let him take the reins, it changes everything. 
because then we're leaning into his strength. We're drawing nigh into him and he's so much bigger and more powerful than we could ever be. And so control is not all what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> I think that is probably one of my biggest things to say. And, and women, look, sometimes we can be catty. <laughs> sometimes we can, we're not great encouragers of one another. And the reality is, is the world around us is designed a little more for guys <laughs> than it is for us. And so we have to stick together. We have to lift each other because we have a whole different type of attack on us. We, we're not being good Christians, you know, in the Christian world if we choose to stay home and be a full-time parent, right? Um, oh, you're going to work. You're pursuing a career. Well, that's not very godly. I mean, there are all these things. Oh, you're too fat. So you have an issue with food. So, you know, there's all these things that come at us that are worldly that people find a way to like put in to the word and justify it. So be in the scripture, allow that to be your foundation and understand the biblical principles and, and turn everything over to God and allow him to direct you. And I think that really changes everything. Amen. I agree. Now, Christine, where can the audience find you? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Um, so um, you can find um, a little more about me at Christine Speaks Ministry. Org. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and, and LinkedIn. And, and um, you know, I have a movie coming out called I Will Rise. Um, and it's a it's a docudrama, but it's already won several awards in film festivals. And and um, they're already talking about a motion picture or an episodic series. So it looks like it's doing whatever the film director wanted it to do. So you can find I Will Rise Film Project on Facebook and keep track of that as well. Or Find me on Facebook and, and you can still keep track of all of that neat stuff. I love it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Christine on all of her social media platforms and also her website, christinespeaksministry.org. Again, that's christinespeaksministry.org. And Christine, thank you for being a guest on Welcome Me podcast. Thank you so much, DJ. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too.